Hey, welcome everybody to this panel discussion on our part of the creed for this week. Do we remember what the part of the creed is? So let's say the creed up until where we are if we can. Wait, I gotta think what it is. Okay, yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So we're on creator of heaven and earth this week. What does it mean for God to be creator of heaven and earth? Let's just start with something right away, even before we, even before we introduce our panelists and kind of get into it here. You probably can't be a Christian if you don't affirm that God is the creator of heaven and earth. You have to affirm God is the creator of heaven and earth if, if, you, if you are a Christian. In fact, you have to affirm the creed if, you, if, if you're a Christian. Um, there are some exceptions to that and maybe some discussions we could have around the edges, but it's pretty foundational. It'd be hard to be a Christian and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in God. Um, you know, the Father Almighty, last week we discussed those kinds of words. Maybe Father, uh, you know, is a troublesome word in some ways. Maybe even Almighty is a troublesome word. We talked about that. We're going to keep talking about that. Creator of heaven and earth, though, creator of heaven and earth is so foundational. Uh, we really can't get away, away from it. Um, and so it's a very meaningful part of the creed, and I'm excited to continue talking about it with our two wonderful guests here today. On my right, one of our professors of chemistry, Davida Brown. Uh, Davida Brown has a PhD from Stanford University in chemistry. Um, very hard to get into Stanford. Very smart to go to Stanford, Davida. Dr. Brown, we're so, so pleased to have you um, with us. Um, Dr. Brown is an alum of George Fox University, sat where you sat, at least metaphorically speaking. Um, and so, so, so pleased to have you here with us. Uh, on my left here, Todd Curtis, one of the professors in engineering. Any engineering students out there? We have a lot of engineers um, at Fox. One person, that's good. It's always good to have one person raise the hand. The other engineers have not gotten used to hand raising yet. They don't know what that is. Um, Todd Curtis has a Master of Science from the University of Colorado at Boulder in engineering and has worked not only as a professor teaching physics primarily, but also in private industry doing things with like electron microscopes and stuff like that. I don't, things, I, things that are too wonderful for me to understand, truly. Um, but um, Todd has essentially spent a lot of his professional career thinking about physics. How does the physical universe work? What role does God play in it? And so I'm so pleased, so pleased to have you um, here today. Thank you so much, wonderful guests. Can I start with, with Davida over here, with Dr. Brown? Can I just ask you, when you grew up in, in, in a household, could you, could you talk about your experience thinking about creation? Like, were you taught a particular view of creation in your household, how it had to be, how it didn't have to be? you know, in terms of its, its spiritual meaning, in terms of how to interpret the Bible. You look like you're trying to remember deep, deep in the history of your life. Am I looking to the right? Okay, you ready? Yeah, go for it. Okay, is this on? Is it on? Yeah, it's Am on. Am I ready? Yes. Oh, um, what an interesting question. What was I taught about creation growing up? Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm from an academic household. My mom has a PhD in literature. <laughs> so, and I grew up Quaker which if there's any um, denomination that enjoys asking the question and not getting an answer, it's Quakerism. <laughs> and growing up, I would say um, my mom was always super into, that's, that's, she'll, if she ever hears this, she'll be like, super into, what is this? I'll make sure I forward um, it to her Thank you. But the t I heard in your lecture on Monday talking about the types of literature that are in the Bible. Right. And so that's something that she's always talked about, if she ever talks about it, that that it's not all a historical document, and some of it is is poetry, and some of it is metaphor. So the idea that any part of it might not have to be taken literally was never a difficult 
right, but, question So you're saying me. your mom introduced you to this idea that the Bible had all these genres and that, you know, it was never like, it was never insisted that the creation story was any particular genre. Maybe if anything, it was poetry or metaphor or something like that. Right. I would say, I mean, the shortest answer to your question is we did not talk about it and there wasn't a foundational yeah. thing, but what I would glean is from that is that literalism was not necessary. I see what you mean. Is that yeah. answer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Todd, what about you? Did you did you grow up hearing about these stories or having any particular kind of like family spiritual take on this? Yeah. So for me, um, I didn't actually grow up in the church, um, so we didn't discuss the idea of creationism much. I kind of grew up in the public school system in Reno, Nevada, where we were um, just taught that kind of the sort of materialistic worldview is how things came out of natural kind of random causes. Evolutionary theory was taught more or less as truth in the school system. So that's, that's kind of what I knew up until I became a Christian just before I went away to college. And it was, it was at that time, and really still since then, that I've continued to dive into the question of, um, of creation and trying to understand the truth mm -hmm. uh, behind it, um, understanding really how science is investigating the way in which God has, has done things, done his creation. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of a quick answer. Yeah, thanks for that. We have another guest who's joined us. So pleased to have Mark Terry, MFA, one of our professors of art here at George Fox University. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Mark Sorry. Is, Mark is a potter and an artist. His work is on display downtown at the, at the gallery and so on, and I've enjoyed seeing your pottery here, and it's, uh, we're excited to have you, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us. And I've been ready for this class. I, I woke up two hours earlier than normal this morning. <laughs> I was just sitting at home. I took the dog for a walk. I was thinking 9.30. I'm a half an hour early. There you go. You Sorry. were early. You showed, up, you showed up 20 minutes early. So the um, question was about... Yeah, the question literal. was, we're, just, we're talking about, did, did you grow up in a Christian household at all? And if so, did you grow up with any particular ideas about creation and science and Genesis 1 and how to read? Was that a thing in your household growing up? Yes and no. Um, I grew up in a Christian household. My very first friends were the ones I crawled around with in the nursery at my church, uh, and I grew up with those people uh, through my whole life. I, I still see some of them uh, mm -hmm. on occasion. Their, their children have come to George Fox, and I've put some of them through school. Um, I uh, went to a pretty mainstream evangelical kind of church. Uh, the presumption was that the Bible is inerrant, and it's the God-breathed word of, uh, it, is, it is the God-breathed word of God. Um, but things like this topic were, I think, avoided like plague, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> it was never actually addressed in the pulpit or even in a Sunday school why do you class. Think, why do you think people avoided it? I think because, uh, like, like, like perhaps we're, we're experiencing in this class, that there's lots of ways of looking at it. I, I listened to the lecture, and, and you, you identified very thoughtfully a bunch of different ways to approach the creation story, whether it's literal or whether it's figurative, metaphoric, and, and that there are other creation stories, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think it was left to the individual to mm -hmm. um, discern their own conviction about how to believe that. I see. And I'll say for, for myself, and I think I reflect that, that particular church, um, the assumption was that the world was created by God, um, that this was an outline for how it was done, and it doesn't challenge my faith to discern whether or not it was like seven literal days or seven figurative days or seven historical epochs or seven is just a kind of this wonderful magical number that is used over and over throughout mm -hmm. thr scripture as a symbolism or as a symbolic detail. Yeah. Um, I wonder, could, could I just ask the class really quick, just show of hands, you, you don't have to vote if you don't want to, like who grew up in a household that had like 
no view whatsoever of anything that we're talking about. Like your household had like no, no discussion of this, no view. I see one person in the back, two people. Okay. Who grew up in a household that had a, or a church setting that had a very specific view on this issue? Who grew up in a household where this issue was there, but it was, you think it was like avoided, like, like what Mark is saying? A couple people. So like, it looks like about five people say this issue was there, but avoided. Most people raised their hands. The majority of, of the 80 or so people in the class said, that are here said, yeah, they grew up in a, in, a, in a church that had a very specific view of this. I grew up in a household like that too. Um, my family was kind of like in and out of church in my life. We didn't really have like a single church that we went to, but like my dad's extended side of the family was like, I think really intense about this issue and very intense, I think, in, in particular about, about, you know, uh, trying to make, I wouldn't even call it an argument because I don't really think there were a lot of reasons or arguments. It was more just like very intense about the affirmation that the earth was, I think like maybe 6,000 years old and that uh, evolution was definitely a disastrous lie from the pit of hell and that people who believed it had gone down a very dark path indeed. Um, and so that was, the kind of, that was the kind of background that I grew up from. I don't know if most of the people, does, does, that, does that background resonate with anybody? Anybody come from a background like that? Okay, a couple people, I don't know. Um, so I, back to Dr. Brown, if I could just flip it over to you. Anyone can jump in on any of these questions at any time, but like, hi, you know, it, are science and religion, do you think, fundamentally at odds on this question? You've already talked about growing up in a setting where maybe you were bred to think that they weren't at odds. Um, but a lot of people seem to think that they are. Why do you think there's so much tension around this issue for so many Christians exactly? I mean... There's like three questions. I yeah, guess. well, go, you know, I'm giving you options. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> to answer the first one, which I think is the most important, um, no, I don't think that, that science and religion or science and Christianity are at odds, I think that they're answering different questions. Yes. That um, science is really answering the question of how, how do things happen? How did it happen? You know, what does the evidence point to in terms of the, the fossil record or the nuclear decay or the th th laws of thermodynamics? What do they seem to say? Whereas religion is answering the question of the purpose the why. Why did God create? Why did God want to be reconciled to God's creation? Mm -hmm. Those are, so in that sense, I would say they're not at odds because they're not answering the same question. Mm -hmm. um, but, and why it's hard for people is there is some um, emotional and mental gymnastics that you have to go through developmentally and just like, well, if that's not true, and my church said it was a big deal, what does it mean? I mean, if it's not required for me to believe this, and my church says it is a big deal, how do I reconcile those things? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean about my faith? Yeah. In fact, I'll just jump in with a follow-up question on that for anybody directly from a student in text. I think this is a great one. How can we reconcile or rebuild our faith after becoming disillusioned to how we were raised to view creation and other issues in the Bible that are debated as figurative or literal? So say you'd grown up in a very, I don't know, just to pick one, say you grew up in a house like, like the one that I'm describing where it was like, this is how it is. And say you learn or discover in some other way that like, no, that's not how it is. Now it's like all faith just seems, I don't know, it just seems kind of ephemeral, kind of lifeless now. Is there a way to rebuild faith after having kind of a crash on this issue, if that makes sense? Uh, let, me, let me speak a little bit to that and, and, and also maybe respond from a slightly different but, but similar vein as what Davido uh, was talking about. The first image that I show in my art history classes is, is presumed by the most contemporary scientific methods to be at least 22,000 years old. And the folks who, um, for whatever reason, feel like it's really important to try and um, tackle when exactly was, was the world created, um, used 
the lineages in the Bible to kind of, well, we figure roughly how long somebody would have lived, and oh, we calculate some extra stuff in there because before Methuselah was really old, and <laughs> put all that together, and you get 6,000-some years old. We have written records that we have historical documentation that are over 6,000 years old. So you, you've got these kinds of evidences that are contrary to these other things that people are doing. And my simple answer is that the Bible isn't intended to be a science text. The Bible is intended to be a, a discussion about the life of the people of God. And I think, this is for myself, and that's one of the things I have to, uh, I have to couch carefully with my students, because I don't want to tell you, you can't believe what you believe. This is how I've resolved it for me. Um, I think the lineages are there for a very, very important purpose to say that from the very beginning of the definition of God's people, there was a plan. And that plan was amplified by prophecy, and all those prophecies come to fulfillment in Jesus, not necessarily to turn all of those words into a measuring stick. That challenges some people, and I think they get mad at me. It opens some minds up with some other people, and they go, huh, well, maybe, in fact, that isn't why that's all there, and I have to think about that differently. Does it have to challenge your faith? For me, it would challenge my faith in why we're going about doing these things. Are we acting out of fear? Because if some idea comes along that's going to break my whole paradigm about faith and belief, or are we acting in belief and looking for truth? And that's really the way I approach it. Yeah, I think um, a lot of difficult questions, both from the text and, and from what, what you're sharing. But I, I want to just echo what Davida said, that I, I strongly believe that yeah, there's not some sort of magic or terrible contradiction between faith and science. They're, they are fundamentally answering different questions. Um, but for me, at least as a physicist, I also see, as I study God's creation, the physical world, I actually see so many kind of echoes or patterns or different aspects of his nature written in the world that we're studying. And so for me, as I study science, I draw closer to God because I'm able to see different aspects of, of who he is. Um, to answer the question is, you know, uh, can you actually read that question just one more time from the text? Yeah, totally, totally. So the student was saying, how can we reconcile or rebuild our faith after becoming disillusioned? You know, so say, like, I just gave an example. The student didn't exactly put it this way. I'm just guessing. Maybe the student can follow up with another text or, or grab the mic. But, like, let's say I grew up in a house like the one I grew up in where I thought, that, you know, the Bible had to be read in a certain way, exactly this way. And I later come to think that it, it shouldn't be read this way. But now I'm, like, I'm just angry, you know? It's like, why didn't people tell me this earlier? Why, you know, you feel like sometimes a person could feel like they've been lied to or, like, information had been withheld. And that's, you know, that, that, that can actually hurt quite a lot. There can be disillusionment, disorientation that goes along with that. How would you get over that and then continue to believe or to see even creation or the text in, in a new way that's still meaningful but just not like the old way? Is that, is that journey possible, or is it just disillusionment for life on this topic? Uh, dis disillu no, just kidding. <laughs> disillusionment it's for disillusionment life. for life. I'm, no, no I'm, uh, yeah, I think, I think, it's an yeah challenging and important question. I think it's it's okay to you know be upset, be mad, you know talk about it, get get some of those emotions out. But also you know ask yourself why why do you feel so disillusioned? Why are you so tied up in kind of what this really one or two chapters at the beginning of the Bible need to be read a certain way? Think about what God wants for us, you know, and and read. It's so important to read the Bible as an entire story and not just hyper-focus on any one aspect of it. And as you do and as you read through the New Testament things, you see where God's heart is, why Jesus came, what he wants for you. And kind of as Brian said on Monday, you know, 
so much of the creation, there's a historical aspect to it, but so much of it is about today, right? How are you to respond and react as a result of the creation? The fact that God is the creator of the universe, regardless of how he did it, regardless of the complexities of the science and so on, what does that mean for you today? And as you move into thinking about those aspects of your faith that I hope could help you move beyond the disillusionment um, a little bit, because I think, yeah, the, the science, the history, I kind of, in preparation for today, I kind of just did a straw poll of a series of different uh, science faculty members and engineering faculty members, just kind of for fun to see, you know, how do you reconcile your faith with Genesis 1? And no two of them said the same thing. They all had <laughs> different perspectives. They're all, I believe, very solid followers and Christian believers, and they all have a different perspective on what creation looks like. And for me, as somebody who studies physics, one of my favorite aspects of physics is, is the ability to, to study and understand time. And the more I look into time, I strongly believe that God is outside of time. And so it follows from that that then he created time as something for us in our experience here on Earth in this fallen world in order to be able to move outside of time with him and into eternity. And so if he created time as something for us, what does time even look like before day five in Genesis one when people were created? What does time look like for God who's outside of that, right? And so I think we get so tied up on time, which we've now proven scientifically is experienced differently relative to your motion. And as you approach the speed of light, the way you experience time, slows down dramatically, right? Which is kind of fun that God's referred to as light time and time again. Ha, time again. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's probably time for you to cut me off. Speaking of time. Yeah, you're done. Uh, you're done, anyway, Todd. Thanks Physics, for that. come take physics. <laughs> when the pun comes out, we move on to another person. Um, I, I wonder, just following up on this, I mean, is, are, are there things, I mean, we, we have scientists here, we have an artist, like, are there things from science, from chemistry, that make you think, wow, like God is creating now today, or creation is intricate, and it's not just about the past, but it's about the world that we live in. Does that question make sense? So like creation, this is a point I tried to drive home on Monday. Creation's not just about the past and this hyper-focus on the past and how many years ago. It's important, it's interesting, but also about now. Does that resonate with, with, with either of you? Todd spoke about it a little bit there. Artist? Certainly for me. I, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm a, a theological wuss. I've often thought that. Um, <laughs> because uh, I don't worry about those things. I, 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 I firmly believe that, that Christ is my Savior, that God, that God manifests himself in Christ and, and, and provided that experience for me and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I don't, frankly, fuss about the nitpicky things. I leave my, my theologian friends to do those things. <laughs> for me, I got really excited about your conversation about creation being about the now. Because for me, what it does is it gives all, all people like me who consider themselves makers, it gives us a pattern. And I, I argue, and I, I, I like to think pretty persuasively, that I get to feel something of God. I have a more intimate relationship than I might have if I weren't a maker. When I'm making stuff, I feel this joy inside me that is unspeakable, that I, can't, I just can't describe in any other way than to say, for me, it's very much like a, the kind of prayer you would have when you felt like God was listening and he was speaking back and you were hearing and, and there's this, this two-way relationship. When I'm sitting at my potter's wheel, when I'm sculpting away in my studio, there is this sense of creation is happening now, and the model I have in Genesis gives me great validation for that. And although, you know, you talked about the, the story with Marduk and, and the Northwest Native Americans up in Alaska have some other, other ideas. I've heard some from Polynesia, but it's remarkable 
how many cultures across the planet have as their creation story, regardless of what they believe in as a creator, but that creator reaches down into mud, molds it and shapes it and breathes life into it, and that's the beginning of us. And I feel like I get to recreate that every time I take that void, lifeless stuff and maybe make a simple bowl out of it, but then that bowl has a life and people get sustenance out of it and they're fed by it. And for me, I connect with creation every day in the studio and most days in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Davida, you wanna jump on this? Is God a creator now or was that all in the past? Oh man. As a scientist. Talk about quantum. I was gonna talk about quantum. Yeah. So I guess there are things that we, I guess where we are in science is maybe not so much learning what God is creating now, although um, I do think God is still creating, that uh, we get to look at all the like almost magic things that have been there since the beginning or, or developed over time. So like your eyesight, you get light, a signal into your eye and it travels to your brain and it travels faster basically faster than, than the speed of light, faster than it ought to. And the only reason it can do that is because of quantum tunneling, which is to say that the electron is in two places at once, that it passes like out of your eye and into, the, into your brain faster than it ought to be able to. And that kind of stuff is wild. And just for me, when I learned that, um, learn about those kinds of things, I think, what an awesome and amazing creator put this here and was like, you know, in 2005, they're going to find out about this. It counts from zero, by the way. Okay. I was born in zero. That's what God says. Okay. Jesus was born in zero, <laughs> so we count from there. They're going to learn about this, and it will blow their minds. Yeah. So I guess for us, for me, it's um, the ongoing discovery of the things that have been set in motion mm -hmm. that are happening. Mm -hmm. What about from a physics perspective on this? Like, is there any kind of, is there any perspective from physics that would suggest that God is still creating or that... What, what does physics have yeah, to tell us? Oh, you do. You want to okay, go back? I, I'm okay. going back. Okay. Okay. We're going uh, back. Also, talk about I'm going to the physics person. No, it might still Davida's be physics because I'm a physical chemist. Okay, good. So, go but if you anyway. look way out with with modern telescopes, you can actually see the far edge of where creation is happening, mm. or where it was happening, but for us, is happening now. You can see stars being born, um, hydrogen atoms coming together, fusing over and over again into the heavier elements. You can look into nebula, where where the universe is still being born. And I don't know what it means to be able to look that far, if we're looking in the past or if we're looking right now. But that's creation like at its most primeval that you can see happening right now. Kind of stole some of what I was going to say there. But yeah, no, I, t I totally agree. I've taught, I taught astronomy for years um, before coming to Fox. And yeah, I mean, you see in the cosmos creation and destruction and, and things that are changing, right? We live in a changing world. And so I think that the act of creation in different respects can be seen constantly in the cosmos. But I, I kind of want to echo kind of again what DeVito was saying is that, you know, Again, I believe God's outside of time, and so, you know, the fact that we're constantly discovering and understanding more and more of his creation, you know, things that may have been happening for a long time that we didn't know yet about, the act of us figuring it out, I believe, then gives us an opportunity to understand more of his nature, and so as we're learning more about his kind of creation at the present, it makes creation relative to the now, even if it's things that have been in existence for the last 
X number of years that we just haven't had the technology or ability to figure out. Sure. And so the fact that science is always changing, the fact that you know 150 years ago people thought physics was figured out, and then we've since realized that all of that was just crude approximations, and now mm -hmm. physics has been kind of reborn since Einstein. You know, to me shows that we're still having creation be relevant and present now. Yeah. Not to mention all the quantum weirdness. Can I follow up on this? I mean, what, I mean, one of the most famous physics ideas is the Big Bang, right? Yeah. Is that a physics idea? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Pa I mean, partly. It's, yeah, partly. It's, it's science. It's, okay. All science is physics anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. No, it definitely is. I uh, mean, what about this? I mean, this has... <laughs> chemistry is a subset of physics. <laughs> so, this idea of the Big Bang, though, has kind of arisen, at least in, in modern cosmological theory, as you know, the major scientific theory about how the universe begins. I don't know, could you talk a little bit about it in a, in a simple way? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you could go on and on about it, but what is, what, what is the Big Bang exactly, and is it compatible in any way with belief in God or, or faith? Yeah, so um, the Big Bang actually, for me personally, symbolizes a very important moment in my life because when I, my very first teaching job I was applying for, I was asked to teach on the Big Bang in like 10 or 15 minutes and explain all of the Big Bang, which right there is just insane. And, <laughs> but because I was such a young Christian at the time, I was super nervous as well. It's like, do I need to go and teach things that are contrary to what I really believe about the nature of the universe? And so I spent like this weekend just doing a deep dive into the Big Bang, into faith, into Genesis, and all these things. And, and I came out of it just being shocked that in our popular culture, that people think the Big Bang is somehow contrary to science. If you look historically, it was really scientists of faith that argued that the universe had a beginning. And it was atheistic scientists who said, no, it's been steady state forever, unchanging. And the Big Bang proved, well, okay, it's a theory, but the Big Bang, to the best of our understanding, has proven that yes, there was a finite time at which the heavens and the earth began. Hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a time at which creation occurred. Mm -hmm and that we're now living in this changing universe, which is what the Bible teaches us, is that there's this universe that was created. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a scientific theory. We're trying to understand how that could have happened. Anytime you do science in the past, it's really, really, really murky and tricky because true science requires controlled experiments, and you can't do controlled experiments in the past, mm -hmm. right? That's why things like evolution and the Big Bang and so on are really tricky, and they're still, and probably for a long time, will remain theories because we can't go back and do experiments then. But yeah, the theory just really helps us to try to understand how the universe sprang into being out of what they call the singularity, that you mm -hmm. know, there's just this one point, then boom, all of a sudden, all of matter, all of energy, all of physics as we know it in chemistry came into existence. So you're saying, so if I hear you correctly, you're saying for Christians, the idea of a Big Bang should be inspiring for faith yeah. because it would show from a scientific, scientific perspective that the, that the universe had an origin in a moment right. as opposed to just being kind of a nothingness or a steady kind of thing. Right, yeah. To me, it's, yeah, it's just so impactful that, and, and yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm sorry if I keep going on and on, but like, you know, <laughs> if you look at the complexity of the universe that we live in, the complexity of life, the complexity of physics and chemistry that we're spending, you know, thousands of years trying to just understand this world we live in, and there's still so much we don't understand, you know? All of that sprang into existence in an instant. Mm. And to me, it's just the, one of the strongest pieces of evidence in favor of a creator who is all-knowing and all-powerful, who is so, so, so much bigger than I am or that any of us are. Mm. And so, to me, the Big Bang 
is a huge piece of kind of science that helps support and it reinforce in my faith personally. Do we have any questions from the group? Does anyone want to take up the mic? Anybody want to raise a hand, run the mic around? If nobody does, I've got an idea. I'll, I'll take the mic to you. I'll bring it to you. I'll put it in your face, okay? Um, I wonder if I could actually bring the mic if nobody wants it. Um, I want to bring it to Jenna, our teaching assistant. I asked Jenna to, to, to really just collate our reaction papers from Monday and to think about, you know, the kind of things that you all were reacting to from the lecture. What were you interested in? What did you want to hear about? Uh, Jenna, was there anything that, that stood out to you from, from reading those and, and collating that? Yeah, um, some of the biggest things have already been touched on somewhat, and that is like how do you reconcile like Darwinism and science with creation stories? But another thing that a lot of people were like confused about is like how do you make creation for you now? And also what do you do with the various different creation stories that are in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And just like, how do, you, how do you bring those all together as one if you even can? Right, right. And a lot of the texted questions that I, I have been seeing, I'm collating a couple of them into one question here, were very much along the lines of things like, okay, look, like if we read Genesis 1, say like metaphorically or symbolically in some way, why would we read other stories as literal? Why would we read the stories of Jesus, for example, in any of the Gospels as, as literal history? Like how does one decide? I get, my first response to that is, um, that I, I think, and this I take a cue from the early church on, on interpretation here, as I, as, I, as I sometimes do, and I mentioned this on, on Monday. Um, I think a lot, of, a, a lot of our ancestors in faith, when they've read the Bible, they saw the Bible as symbolic and metaphoric actually everywhere. And that's not to the exclusion of literal readings, but that if the Bible is God's word, it should probably have a super abundance of meaning, like literally, like every, not literally, okay. should have a super abundance of meaning everywhere. And so everything can be read with a great depth, even the stories of Jesus and all kinds of things like that. So I don't know, I don't, I don't quite see the mindset. I guess I don't understand the mindset that says, well, each passage you just have to pick, literal or symbolic, and then there's a clear criterion that you would choose. Um, and, and then I think there's another kind of strain, and I saw this in one of the texts too, that says, well, look, it's either like, either, either the Bible's important and the Old Testament has meaning, and it's read one way, or otherwise it's just like a piece of garbage, and it has no meaning at all. So like if, you know, say in the New Testament, um, 2 Timothy, a famous passage, the, the entire word of God is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and preaching. If that's true, then I guess if Genesis 1 isn't read historically, then you just kind of throw it in the trash, that it's not available for teaching and preaching. I guess I just don't understand that perspective. It just, it, it's, not, it's not registering in the computer of my mind, because I think, no, of course that's true, it's not a question about whether something is valuable, but it's about how it's valuable or how scripture speaks. So I think that's the conversation we're having here, not about which parts of the Bible get thrown out, and by thrown out, you then mean read, lit, read symbolically as opposed to literally, but rather a question about how God works, what history even is, where to see symbols and where not to. But it is a complicated discussion, one that can't really be answered just like, here's how you know right off the bat. And er early thinkers like Augustine and Origen that I mentioned um, on Monday really wrestled with this. They had ideas, but there was no grid. There was no list of passages. It was an ongoing thing you did in the life of faith to read and to make those decisions. So there's that. Uh, Mark, do you want to jump in here on, uh, on any of these questions that have been, been floating around? Well, I'll go back to the one that, that um, you pointed at Davida when you asked, is creation still happening? And one of the things that, that I take great comfort in is in this notion that right from the very beginning, we are made in the image of Creator God. Uh, and if, in fact, I am made in the image of God the Creator, that, that um, uh, important 
descriptor, imago Dei, each and every one of us carry the image of God. You are God-breathed. You are the image of God. I see God in you. You get to see God in me. And when I create, God is creating because that of God that made me a creator is, is what's motivating and inspiring me. And so, you know, to some extent, even the simplest little T-bowl that, that finds itself um, emerging off of my wheel is God-breathed in that I am God's child acting as God with my fingerprint, with God's fingerprints all over me, um, unable not to create. So I argue that, yeah, um, we're constantly creating. We can't help but create. Uh, we create differently. I'll, I'll, when I, again, when I get a class, I'll ask, how many of you identify yourself as an artist? And usually the handful of majors in there who got art scholarships go, I better hold up my hand quick. Um, you know, and everybody else goes, eh, not really, because we're so busy comparing ourselves against others. Well, the reality is that some of you are creators in the way that you um, try to explore the world of physics. Some of you are creators in the way that you think about how does this body work and how can I massage that muscle so that it you know, won't spasm when I want to put that person back out on the basketball team. Um, we all have different disciplines that we, that we tackle that creativity through. Um, and I think that we limit that creativity to art when we think about creative stuff, when in fact, I think you're all artists because, well, I'd argue you can't help it. You were made in the image of a creator God. Yeah, I just, I kind of wanted to maybe ask a follow-up question to all of you guys or, or yeah. for all of us to think about, you know, kind of going along with what you're saying. I, I think it is interesting to, to ask the question, you know, like I totally agree with you that there's so much, even just reading the... Old Testament as stories or whatever, there's so much value in that, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a, a point at which there's an importance in understanding that there are historical or literal aspects to the Bible, right? I mean, Paul says, you know, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're most of most men to be pitied or whatever, right? He says. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, I guess, you know, how, how, what advice do you have for the students as, and for me personally, as we try to, try to wrestle with that, right? You know, like to me, the way I've reconciled Genesis is like, I don't think we understand time the way God does. And so with Genesis 1, that's a big part of it. I don't think that necessarily means that it's not at all literal or anything, but it just right. means we don't understand time properly. But with so much of it, you know, how do we differentiate? How do we understand, you know, this is historical and it's important to understand <clears throat> that this is literal, right. you know? What do you guys think? I mean, I'll just kick this off. I want to hear from others. But uh, just by way of saying, one thing that I've done in my own life as a Bible reader is to meditate on the paradox and the mystery of what Christians call the incarnation. We've talked about this before in the class, but I'll give a refresher. The Christian belief in the incarnation is the belief that Jesus, a character we're going to get to later in the course, we're getting there, okay, is both fully divine and fully human. That Jesus had a body and bones, and blood, and a mind with chemicals rushing around, and emotions, and hair, and all that stuff, but that God was also something that is God, like whatever that is. And that paradox, that mystery for Christians has been a, a source of, yeah, a lot of confusion and wonder, like how could you be both God and human at the same time? Isn't it, isn't it to be human? It doesn't that, to have a body and so on? Doesn't that mean not to be God? And to be God, isn't that to be something totally other than human? Like, it's a paradox. It's, it's confusing. It's a contradiction, you could say. Um, that same paradox, I like to think of the Bible in that way, too. That the Bible has a body, like flesh and bones and blood, a human part, but that it's also divine. That it's something wholly other and completely different as well. This helps me think, okay, the Bible's body, its flesh and blood and bone and guts, that's what we might call its literal hist historical aspects. 
The Bible is everywhere literal and historical in at least one sense, in the sense that it was written by people at a particular time about experiences that they had, things that they knew, things that they heard from God. That is what the word literal actually means. I would not conflate the word literal with the word historical, though, or, or factual, or truth. So the word literal doesn't mean true. We use, the way, we use the word literal today like that to be an intensifier of already true things. Like if you were having a really hard time in a class, you're like, oh man, that panel was so bad. I literally died in there. You know, it's like we say stuff that doesn't make sense like that, but we use literally to kind of like amplify. Um, when the church though talks about literal meanings, we don't mean it that way. It doesn't mean that something's more true. Literal just means a plain sense reading of the text. Like, Brian walked through the door and out into the hallway in a text literally read means Brian walked out the door, like just on a narrative level. It doesn't mean that someone's soul got released from their body and went up into the heavens into a new sphere, namely the hallway. That would be like more like a symbolic type of reading, okay? So when we talk about reading the Bible literally, we don't necessarily mean historical. And yeah, I think Todd Curtis is totally right. The Bible is full of history everywhere, 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 at least the historical experiences of people who were authors and who were speaking, if not actually just straightforward historical chronicles of events. The question, though, becomes how do you know what, where to read what as what? And I realize that that's the question that some of you are asking. I'll appeal to the scientists, though, and say this. You as a chemist and, 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 and you as a physicist and Mark Terry as an artist, you know that your craft takes a lot of work, right? Like, you don't just become a chemist. You don't just get a PhD from Stanford, like, by going on the internet for 15 minutes, okay? So I guess I flip the question back to you as, as faithful people or people thinking about reading the Bible. Why is it that you think you'd be able to come to snap answers on serious questions like this in about 15 minutes in a YouTube video, as opposed to spending a lifetime or at least a long period of time thinking very seriously about questions like history? What is history even? Like, how would you even define what it is? And what kind of historical research would you actually need to do? So I'm not suggesting you need a PhD from Stanford or whatever in order to read the Bible. What I am suggesting is that it might actually take the same kind of work that we expect at times out of scientists or other disciplines or artists or others in order to understand really important things. And maybe that in and of itself is like one of the great shockers because we have this idea, and it's, it's frankly, and I'll go out on a limb just to wake you up here at the end of class, it's a childish idea, it's an immature idea that you should just be able to come to a text and just understand everything right away, and it should be so simple that you understand it in 30 seconds, kind of like a YouTube tutorial. It's not like that. This is not one of those things, I would suggest. That's my claim. We're pushing up here against the end of our time. Um, Davida, do you want to take us out with, well, with Mark some? Mark has something to say too. I, I was just going to add to that night. Yeah, idea go ahead, that fast, very that fast. There's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. You all know this stuff. Um, and, and I want to say that there's things that you will know with your heart, um, and, and I honestly believe that God speaks to us through our heart. God also speaks to us through the hard work that we do in our academic disciplines when we, when we discern th something through research and, and, and uh, that hard work of academic pursuit. So I, w I would say one of the things, the ways that I approach reading the Bible is thinking about it as the story between the Israelite people and God, and God's constantly reaching out to them, and reaching out to them, and reaching out to them. And the st the, the, both the historical stuff in Chronicles and Kings, and the stuff in Psalms and the Proverbs, and, and the prophets, is all about how the people respond, and how God is trying to reach out to them. And then the story broadens when we get into the New Testament. Um, so what I'm looking for when I read it is, what does this story teach me about the way God is reaching out to me? through the way that God was reaching out to the ancient people of the, of the Israelites. Mm -hmm.
-hmm. since that's whose perspective the at least the first half is from. Yeah, and I, I just want to, you know, echo what Brian was just saying. You know, this idea of paradox is all through the Bible, this kind of different competing aspects. How is God perfectly merciful and perfectly just at the same time? How is he fully man, fully God? But the amazing thing is we see the same exact thing actually in science. Light is one of my favorite things in science. You can't describe light. You know, some people say, oh, light is a wave, right? But that only kind of describes light. It only encompasses part of it. Other times, light acts like a particle, right? Now, normally, things are either a wave or a particle. But somehow, light, the only way to fully describe it and fully understand it is to think of it as both a wave and a particle at the same time. And so these kind of contradictory things that are somehow paradoxical but work together, we see it in nature. We see it in who God is as well. And so, again, another thing I find comfort in science relating to my faith. Paradox, we're going to have to get used to it if we're going to understand faith. and get Or into science. Or science. And, and get or in, art. Or art. And get into this story. Please join me in thanking our guests for today.